0: Hello, hello peeps. It's me, Maricela Herrera, and should I just quit my job? Well, it's been a minute actually, but I'm still in the phase in which I can't really believe it. It's interesting to think about the things that have served me well during this time and what's happened in the last couple of months as I navigate this transition. I'd say one of the things that served me the best. Is reconnecting with people from my past who have made a big difference in my life. The conversation I'm sharing with you today is with someone I hadn't spoken with for about 10 years, Chris Leroy. I met Chris because 10 years ago, uh, I went on a trip he had organized. It was a trip to Peru. And my best friend, who lives in Mexico, he invited me to come. He he was coming. He knew Chris. And the group that was going, actually, they all knew each other. It was about 14 or 15 people. And it was just not just any other trip. It was, mind you, a shamanic journey. So... It was a little a little interesting for me to join in with this group without knowing anyone and especially when it was a trip that was about discovery and learning about ourselves and learning about energy and learning about practices that I didn't really know much about. You know, I'm I, I've always been a spiritual person and I'm always been curious. So it just it just felt like the right thing for me, and I, and I really appreciate that Chris was so open to letting me come, considering everyone else knew each other, and that they all welcomed me with open arms. When I started playing around with the idea of creating this podcast, um, I actually posted something on LinkedIn that was m- me sharing where I was. I had just come back from a trip back home to El Salvador and it had taken a few weeks to just be and think, and actually not even think, to just be. And I did know that some people were wondering, you know, where, where is she and what is she doing? And, um, they'd been so, so kind as to reach out to me and offer to talk but I wasn't ready. So when I came back to New York, I thought, you know, let's let people know I'm back. And let's let them know, you know, I've been tired. So I've been kind of off the radar. And would anyone be interested and willing to talk about career transitions with me? I knew I was going to be having these conversations. I really wanted to have these conversations. But I wasn't expecting a lot from the post. I mean, it is LinkedIn and you think, you know, whatever you post is just going to go into the void. But boy, these wonderful humans, God, they always surprise me. Not only did my post receive quite a bit of traction, but it helped me reconnect with people like Chris. That's been a really interesting part of this journey for me. Realizing there are people out there who are willing to talk, who are willing to be there and bounce ideas off of, uh, are willing to catch up, are willing to just be there regardless of what my job is. And I know it sounds so simple and so basic, but look, I was scared. I was scared that my identity was so wrapped up in my work that people would not be interested in me. And, and don't get me wrong, there have been a few people who have completely disappeared from my life or uh, just kind of um, snubbed me a little. Not going to lie, it has happened. But I take that as a favor. It's better to know who cares about you for who you are and not what you can do for them because of your position in life. So it was lovely to see the ones that wanted to be there. And Chris was one of them. He responded to my post. And even though it had been 10 years, wow, it was so great to be back in touch. I can't wait for you to meet Chris and hear his story. We get philosophical and deep, but that's us. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I hope some of this helps you think about your journey in a different light. I'm excited for people to get to know you, because I think you have a very different perspective hmm. than than a lot of folks. Let's start with some background. Can you share a little bit, I know you've gone through different transitions throughout your career and your life, um, can you talk a little bit about where kind of your background is, where you come from?
1: Yeah, absolutely, I'd be happy to. So. I think I would start by saying that my life has been a series of transitions and pretty significant ones. My father was a diplomat. So growing up, we changed countries, culture, schools every three to four years. So those were always significant transitions. And mind you, this was in the pre-internet, pre-Facebook era. So when you left a country, you, you know, you'd leave on the assumption that, you may never see those friends again. You may never come back to that country again. Um, you know, I spent three years in Dar es Salaam in Africa going to the little French school. My classroom was a reconverted container with an air conditioning unit s- carved in on one side. Uh, I went to high school in Argentina. Um, I, I did actually spend three years in my home country in Belgium going to a Catholic school. So... All growing up has been a series of transitions. The thing is, those transitions were, I would say, imposed in in the sense that I had no voice and no vote in them. I just sort of went along for the ride. And then afterwards, you know, coming into adulthood, there were still a lot of transitions, but there there was an element of conscious choice. Uh, I studied economics and international relations. And the first part of my career after graduating from um, the master's program was in government, was in foreign policy, was related to what I'd studied. Uh, I got a job in Mexico, um, got married in Mexico, uh, spent about almost three years there right after grad school. And at the end of that three-year period, I sort of started getting antsy. And I, s- I said to myself, well, if I really want to do foreign policy and international affairs, I kind of need to be in Washington, D.C., you know, right in the center of it. So we moved back. And we ended up spending six years in Washington. And then one of the most significant transitions I experienced was at the tail end of that six year period in DC. So I'm talking about, or about 2008, 2009. And um, I, we can dive into this afterwards, but I'd started a training as an energy healer. At the time, I'd shifted from government work and gone into consulting in the private sector, so that in and of itself was a major shift. But when our first son was born uh, in 2009, um, we left all of that behind. Salaried jobs, the security that goes with that, and uh, we moved all the way across the country to the West Coast with the intention of, in my case, setting up a healing practice and forsaking forever, you know, Salaried life and all the securities there are, you know, famous last words, right? Um, so we'll probably come back to that inflection point. And then since, oh, yeah. then, since then, it's been a series of, there's, there've been other transitions. You know, we moved back to Mexico after two years on the West Coast. Um, I spent almost over 12 years as an independent contractor doing coaching work, facilitation, consulting. And at the same time, I actually did set up my healing practice and it and it uh, thrived not in the United States, but actually in Mexico. And uh, and that's where you and I met. Uh, The first trip I organized Mm -hmm. to Peru for a group that was in 2013. That was also a big milestone.
0: I'm very open and share a lot about my life. Um, Usually, you know, people I think know where I'm from and then, you know, I have very different views of life. I don't think I talk about my more like spiritual side a lot. I think it's pretty open. I'm pretty open that I'm Buddhist. But it's funny because you and I met in this very different setting, right? It was incredible. And I I still think about that trip with, you know, very, very, very fond memories. Start talking about your first conscious transition let's say or not first because you talked about a few others but when you decided you know you were doing government work then you went into the private sector and then you were like fuck this let me go and do something else (laughs) Um, and and do something that's so extremely different like go and and really focus on this more Um, spiritual healing something that i I would say when you're in, in, in a corporate setting or in a more traditional setting seems like so out of left field. Like how did this start? Like, Yeah. So let's, let's unpack
1: that a bit. That, and let's start actually with just how significant of a paradigm change that was. You're hinting at it. And it was, I mean, you know, you, just to set some context here, I grew up, um, although There's a lot of variety because of the countries and the life experiences. But in terms of the family I grew up in, I would say, you know, solidly middle class, leaning towards um, more traditional values. Um, I, all my schooling was in the French system. So, you know, the famous Descartes sentence about, I think, therefore I am like, that's what I firmly believed in. If I can think it, therefore that, that, that is the meaning of my existence and hypothesis-driven ways of experiencing reality. And that, I, you know, grew up Roman Catholic. So that that was sort of the structure, the reality I grew up in. So indeed, uh, considering something like energy healing, it is out of left field. Um, in fact, I would not be surprised if at the time some people close to me, including my own family, thought, or worried that I was joining a sect or something like that. Like, that's how far out that was <laughs> from what was considered normal in my upbringing and my life up until then. Um, and as as, hap- as it sometimes is the case for a number of people who start off on a path that is just so different than what you might expect for yourself or for them, it wasn't by conscious choice. Like the, the universe conspired to set the stage for this and then yeah there's still an exercise of free will like you still have to sign up for the workshop and or sign up for the trip like you you do exercise free will but but oftentimes there's a series of factors that sort of lay the groundwork for you oftentimes when you talk to traditional healers shamans um medicine women and medicine men they'll tell you about the how they started upon their journey and they'll tell you that they were called to it there's a sort of a calling, there's a, there's a an important life experience that sets you on this course. And oftentimes it can be quite a, a painful, tra- tragic, or otherwise extremely challenging experience. You know, the classic cases are, these are metaphors, but they'll serve to illustrate, you know, mm-hmm. you get in a car accident, you almost use your life and you have this big aha moment and you're brutally honest with yourself and you decide to Set off on a new course in your life, or you come down with an illness that should have been fatal, but you survived it, or you have a near-death experience, or you have a healing crisis, or uh, you lose your job, your marriage, and you know all these things happen all at the same time, and it's the equivalent of a near-death experience, or indeed a metaphoric death. In my case, um, my then wife and I were expecting our first child, and. Uh, as the pregnancy progressed well, we discovered that uh the 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 baby had a genetic malformation and the pregnancy then come to term and uh it it would have been life threatening for for her um it was one of those genet- genetic malformations where it basically was going to end in a stillbirth so it was there was actually a literal death but associated with it, there was also a lot of metaphorical deaths because it sort of tore down the 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 pillars upon which I, and she too, but, you know, that's her story to tell, but based on upon which we had built our life, that I had built my understanding of meaning, you know, what is the meaning of life? Mm-hmm. And so we went through uh, the mourning period, etc., we still wanted to have children but we we're not ready and it took us a while before we got there again and at the time right during the in the thick of the crisis um i decided that i just needed some time in space she had gone to spend a weekend with a friend to sort of also sort of disconnect and um and i said okay well i think i'd i'd, I'd like to do something like that too and i ended up going to my very first workshop on energy healing I'd never done something like this before. I, I felt so awkward. You know, it's like here here I am like a, a you know, a corporate consultant working my not even 9 to 5 more like 8 to 7 uh <laughs> and going to something so out of left field, right? And um and sure enough, I I, I still think to this day that I was it felt like I was a I was sticking out like a sore thumb. You know, I was was the only one living in Washington, D.C., having a corporate life, uh, wearing a suit to the office. And here I was with massage therapists and Reiki practitioners and um, acupuncturists and all these fascinating individuals that I'd only ever heard about. I'd never actually met them. And there I was, part of the group, and I took the workshop. and. That was a significant experience within this larger context that I just described, and it was significant first because, although I'd never been exposed to any of these practices, whether it is trying to perceive your chakras, reading tarot cards, doing a drumming circle, you know, and I can name a whole bit like we were exposed to all of that. It was sort of like an all-you-can-eat buffet where they had you try out different things, and it was to get a taste of it, right? It was it was an introductory workshop, and I'd never done any of this. And every exercise that they had us do, it just sort of flowed. I sort of, it came naturally. And that was a huge surprise for me. I was like, oh my God, where did this come from? You know? And the other th- reason it was extremely significant is that on that Saturday night in this two-day weekend workshop, they had us do a fire ceremony. So basically, imagine a campfire, everybody's sitting around, someone gets a drum, and then people offer a song or they hum or whatnot. And I was just like, Oh my God, this is this is so special. This is this is t- touching something within me that's really deep. I couldn't quite describe it in words, but I was in awe. I was just felt I felt at home. And I thought to myself, I need to explore this more. There's something here that is extremely surprising and I just need to find out more. And the third reason it was extremely significant is something finally clicked uh, in in the following sense. All my life, or at least all my life since adolescence, I had always had a a knack for creating new friendships and building trust with individuals. And my friends would tell me all their their stories and their issues. And, you know, I was like the resident uh, counselor and (laughs) provider of advice to various friends. Men and women, you know, and, you know, I'm talking like 15, 16, 17 years old. And that continued throughout university and then into the, the, what I most loved about my job was the networking and the lunches and, and getting to know people throughout the organization and the clients and, oh, all right. And then we also need to actually do the work. Right. (laughs) But what finally clicked is, oh my God, I can do this for a living. Like I can actually spend my time interacting with other human beings at a deeper level, helping them on issues that are deeply personal, deeply meaningful. And it's not just talking and listening. They're also teaching us some practical tools to do something about it. So I thought that was just amazing. That was such a paradigm shift for me to realize that there are other ways to be of service in my life, professionally and otherwise. Uh, So that was hugely inspiring. So the context of my life and the difficult experience we, we went through as a couple back then, and then this one workshop giving me a foretaste of what was to come—that was significant in leading to then a two to three month period where I just questioned everything. It was like, why am I in consulting? Why are we living in D.C.? Why do I think about God the way that I think about him? Oh, and why am I calling him him? Is it a him? Right. right. And that's who I grew up with. Like I grew up yeah. with this idea that. God was, he was bald. He probably had a beard and, you know, whatever, right? But it's well, not whatever. That's right. That was the it, mental image I had formed based on how I was brought up in Roman Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Um, so it led to a lot of soul searching, really. At the time, the only thing I didn't question was my marriage and my desire to have children, but everything else was basically under the as they say in Spanish, bajo la lupa, you know, like under scrutiny and under review, right? So anytime that someone is considering what you're calling a leap of faith or a major change in direction, it may appear on the outside that it came all of a sudden like, oh shit, I just quit my job, Mm -hmm. right? It may appear like that, but seldom is it random. Usually there's this preamble of events and feelings and internal processes that one goes through consciously or not that lead up to that moment that others perceive like, oh my God, they just quit their job. How did that happen? Right. But it doesn't happen in a vacuum. Oh yeah.
0: It, it like really struck to me right now because you said it came from that workshop and I'm, I fully understand that feeling of like I belong here or this calls me in a deeper way. I, it, it, it's very relatable from that time you said you had a few months was a couple months two to three months where you were questioning everything how quickly did you decide did you finally say like I'm going to do this I'm going to move to the other side of the country and jump
1: the sequence was workshop bad news about the pregnancy end of the pregnancy I actually it was over the July 4th weekend Uh, my then wife and I sat down and had a conversation and and she said, she said, I really want to have children, but I'm not ready. And I'm like, I'm in no rush. And she said, okay, let's just wait on that until we feel ready. But I want to sign up for yoga, yoga teacher training. And it starts in November. I'm like, okay, go for it. It's like, well, it's in Italy. I'm like, oh, interesting. And she said, oh, and it lasts three years. It's twice a year for a week. I'm like, oh, how interesting. (laughs) But I said, well, go for it. And then and then they said, oh, if you're going to do yoga teacher training, I'm going to take a look at these guys whose workshop I took a month and a half ago. It was like, because they have a two-year program as well, I'm going to do it too. And so I looked into it, and it was a two-year program every six months, a full week. So on on the same order of magnitude as her yoga teacher training, and I said to myself, I want to do this. I want to go find out what, what really piqued my interest so much. And it turned out that the first week of energy healing training was the same week as our first week of yoga teacher training, first week of November. And it would have been the week our daughter would have been born.
0: That's so incredible. I don't believe in coincidences, but that's quite, quite
1: on the nose. And so then fast forward. So we went to our respective trainings, first time in November, six months later again, and then... um, we were still in DC. I was still doing consulting. She was still working mm-hmm. at the law firm. Uh, each of us now doing our respective training. So we were corporate citizens by during the week, and then yoga teacher and practicing healer on the weekends, you know. Um, and then when Sebastian was born in March of two thousand nine, um, she had her three months of mat leave. I took, uh, which by American standards was amazing. I had like a four days. Hey, so oh my gradually. god! In in 2009? I, mean, I, I know. Wow. And I enjoyed every moment of it. Um, um, July 4th weekend, but now we're 2009, so two years later. That first week of July after the the long weekend, she was due to return to work. And she just looked at me and she said, I, I never thought I would have said this. I always thought I would have been one of those women who would be glad to go back to work and mm-hmm. put him in daycare. I just can't imagine not being cheek to cheek with our son and, you know, fully living into maternity and how can we make this happen? And uh, that question just opened up like a whole new series of possibilities. And we had a conversation over the, so over the course of the weekend, we basically through conversation decided to revisit the entire paradigms of our lives. The seeds had been planted before, as you can tell by the story, but the actual conversation about what next happened over the course of a weekend on the July 4th holiday. And by Labor Day, we were arriving in Portland.
0: Yeah. So you didn't feel that fear. You were kind of like, I trust this is going to work. I probably
1: felt a certain amount of fear. I, I think it would be a lie to say that you wouldn't. I always remember a, a colleague of mine at a company I worked for for many years, He said he would say, you know, even the most experienced public speaker always feels a little bit of nerves the first time they're going to walk up on the audience. And the day you no longer fear have that feeling, that's when you need to be worried. Because if you don't have it, if you're not scared, that means you don't care.
0: That's a good. That's a good.
1: So there was, there was a certain amount of fear, but it was mixed in with adrenaline and enthusiasm and a sense of liberation and the imagination going wild. So on balance, the fear was sort of lower down the list compared to all these other huge emotions coming up. Um, yeah.
0: I'm curious. So we we talked about this first big transition, but I know after that, you gone back and forth in corporate, you started your own business, like you changed uh, countries. So there's been a lot of change. Mm -hmm. We were talking the other day about kind of more of this more recent year, most recent transition. Um, And I'm curious how you would say changes that happened afterwards. So now I think the most current one is you started your own business, right?
1: Mm -hmm. That's right.
0: And... Which is kind of the same you were doing back then, but the diff- very different businesses. Yep. And we can talk about what you do now. And I want to understand how the change, this like, as you've grown since that first time, how you see these big changes differently, if at all, or how you approach them, I guess.
1: Well, I'd like to think that I see them in a more mature way. I would
0: hope so. <laughs> uh, fun- <laughs> um,
1: I approach them differently, yes. You know, I'm in a different season of life, so um, I would say when we took that big leap of faith, and speaking for myself, what the 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 inner energy that animated me to say, yeah, let's do this today. Looking back at that, I would say I approached it with a fair share of naivete, mm-hmm. um, a lot of faith, not a lot of self awareness about me. And all of those three things have no negative connotation whatsoever. In Mm -hmm. fact, I would say that was the perfect cocktail for me to actually take that leap of faith. Because if my older self had sat there and said, all right, so tell me about your cash flow. How many assets do you have? Have you thought about health insurance? What school are you going to put your kid in? Uh, What's your vision five years from now? I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it.
0: I wouldn't have done it. I'm getting anxious.
1: (laughs) Once you decide to set up your, call it practice, side business, side hustle, own business, uh, entrepreneurial gig, you know, whatever label you want to put on it. Back then, I just had no notion of what I was getting into. I come from a family of civil servants and lawyers. Mm -hmm. There is no track record in my family of commerce shopkeeping business ownership entrepreneurs there's there's i had no maps to navigate this now that can be a good thing and a bad thing in my personal view it was a good thing because since i had no maps i'm like oh the universe will provide let's go for it right and i just took the leap and i learned as i went other people might say no it would be really valuable to have the map and plan out the route and you know kind of get from a to b in the best way So there are different approaches to how you might do it. Now, you know, fast forward 15 years and through all the experiences I've had, I have my own maps, which is a metaphor for saying that I have my guideposts and my criteria and much more self-awareness. So, yes, I approach decisions differently. Do you still think the universe will provide? I'll qualify that statement by saying... (laughs) Is that the the, the phrasing, the universe will provide to me, indicates that the universe is actively doing something on your behalf. The universe just is. The universe is abundant as it is. The thing is, how are we wired? What is the lens through which we see life? And there are many people whose glasses or prisms through which they interpret life is of course there's abundance. Of course the universe is always giving to me, and it's just up to me to whether I want to accept it and receive it and give back. Others have a totally different pair of glasses, and they'll say, there's not much around here. The system's not right. I'm being done upon. And there's abundance over there in that person's life, but I don't have access to it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a lot more about oneself than it is about what the universe is doing or not doing. That's I get that. We can get onto the philosophical track. But yes, I believe I believe in natural states of abundance. And I believe it's up to each and every one of us to either embrace our current mindset or evolve it if we don't like the lives we have, but do our own inner work and personal work. To go seize all the fruit that are hanging from the trees, but whether we have access to it or not, that's up to us. Now, true. Some people are born right below where the the fruit is. And if the fruit were just to fall at the right point, it would fall literally in their lap. That's true too. I I believe that. Like some people are born at just the right place to just receive a lot more abundance more easily. But you can also move three yards, three years, three lifetimes to get closer to the tree with the fruit. That's up to you.
0: You mentioned self-awareness and the difference in self-awareness from when you first jumped that time to now. Hmm. I think one of the biggest things we can do for ourselves in our lifetime, in our lifetimes, is getting to know deeply who we are. How did you, how did that change for you? How did you become, like, it's a stupid, it sounds like a stupid question, but I don't know. I feel like there are practices and ways where you can actually get to know yourself
1: there are it's a in my mind it's a very deep question what are the practices you ask there are many in fact any religious or spiritual tradition has all kinds of signposts to guide you on the way to self-awareness the trick with or the the challenge with spirituality and religion is that a lot of the signposts are in the language of metaphor mm-hmm. and we grow up in the in the language of linear rationality. And so sometimes it's hard for us to bridge. And we're like, well, I don't understand. What does it mean to be a good Samaritan? It's like, well, that was 2000 years ago. And how does it apply to me? And, and you need a translator, which should be the role of the priest or the guide or the spiritual, the spiritual um, facilitator is to be that bridge and interpret that language. But a lot of religions and spiritual traditions are paths Not just to enlightenment, it's to self-awareness, to know thyself. And your relationship to God, all that is, you know, whatever label you want to ascribe to that which many people refer to as God. So that's one way. Other ways, astrology. If you get a good reading about what your natal chart says, it gives you incredible amounts of information about your personality, your inclinations, the the tendencies that will be present throughout your life, the the major lessons you came in this lifetime to learn about or experience. Um, and, you know, there are many others, you know, they're in the in the realm of corporate life, business the business world, go take an assessment, disc, mm-hmm. the Hogan, the leadership profile circle. There are so many of them and they tell you so much about yourself. And and they're statistically robust, so it, you know, it's proven out countless of times over thousands of different data points. So those are not nearly as esoteric, and they're just as accurate and just as revealing about who you are or who you've become as an adult.
0: You know, as you're saying all this, all I can think about is the tools are there, and we know them because you know them from different. You, you just mentioned three very different worlds of that of those tools, right? Religion or spirituality, astrology, which I'm also a big fan of, and then more in like the corporate world tests and that stuff. I think a lot of what we, and I'm generalizing, I actually do believe in all these things and I have tried to go through a big journey of self-awareness through my life. It also has to do a lot with how I grew up. But a lot of times we don't want to see or don't want to accept what we're kind of hearing. Um, which it is it's a whole other journey in and of itself, I think, of like becoming courageous enough to accept, see, deal with uncertainty and move over. Move on.
1: Ignorance is bliss. Most people want to stay asleep. It's easy. Waking up and taking the blue pill and realizing that oh all of this is a construct and starting to question everything that you just took for granted is extremely destabilizing to your sense of self to your sense of reality, and and that's that's pushing it. Up. Let's just start with some basic self awareness. So the metaphor, I heard a recent metaphor that I thought was super powerful, you know, and it. Oftentimes, the various spiritual traditions are held up as examples, as pathways to enlightenment. And they're like, oh, I want to become enlightened. Uh-huh. But, the, <laughs> but the metaphor is the following: It's like, well, enlightenment is a series of um, stages through which you go, which is the equivalent of going down to the basement and searching in the dark for the light switch. And you turn the switch on. You're like, oh, I discovered something about myself. And then you, as as the light comes on, you're like oh my God, how much of it, what is all this stuff here? And how long has it been down here for? It's like, I can't believe my grandparents left this old piano here and hasn't ever to come to clean it. And, and that's a metaphor for ancestral baggage and everything you inherit and cultural things. And, you know, I'm European, so we went through two world wars and all of that's part of our baggage as well. And and we colonize half the planet and that's in our baggage as well. And yeah but that's the thing you start you start a journey in self-awareness and some of it is oh my god (gasps) now i get it and then oh 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 now i get it oh my god and then you have to like keep digging and then it it, sometimes it feels like a pandora's box and the thing is once you start it's really hard to say like i'm i'm just gonna put another lock and key it again and just like go back up and never visit the basement again it's like no it's there and you know it's there (laughs) it off for a while, but no. but at the same time, I had a friend of mine who described consciousness the following way. It's like consciousness is like having, it's like being, it's like learning a new language and acquiring steadily more mastery in that language. Mm-hmm. You can decide not to speak it, not to practice it, but you show up and you, in a street and you see a sign with that, with the street name written in the language, you're going to understand it. There's just no way around it. It's like once you've, opened your eyes yeah you can go take a nap and doze off again but you're going to wake up from your nap and it's going to be right there staring at you in the face again or as they say in spanish "te mm-hmm. but life will bring it right back up to you in your face to see it again
0: yeah that i that's a really good metaphor uh, the language i i hadn't thought about it that way but it's true Yeah. Um, I'm taking a lot of your time, but I do want to ask you one last question. Absolutely. How did you decide to go back to more of the corporate side? Because that's another big change, right? Like you, you did your you kind of did double track for a long time, too. I'll give you an answer with nuances. The short
1: answer is it was a journey. Um, The slightly longer answer is that it is about perspective and mindset, which itself evolves as part of a journey. I remember, and then I'll overlay that with one more aspect that comes from, I learned it in the world of shamanic healing, but it originally comes from psychology. It's the cycle through which we go on, on how we relate to any particular issue. So there are four stages. The first stage is you identify with something then you reject it, then you integrate it, and then finally you transcend it. It's no longer an issue, right? So as is the case with many people who might have gone through this, it's like first I identified with the corporate world, then I wanted nothing to do with it, and then I sort of started, I was able to integrate it alongside my shamanic practice, or maybe it was the other way around, but anyway, it was like I was active in both. And now... I'd like to think that I'm at that fourth point of saying, whether I'm active in the corporate world or not, it really doesn't matter. What matters to me is to be of service and to be able to have an impact on people. And one of the reasons I'm doing it in the corporate world is I can do it at a certain scale there that Mm -hmm. is possible because companies themselves are large organizations, et cetera, et cetera. Um, One of those points in the journey was as I told you earlier is like, ah, I'm quitting my job. I'm leaving salaried life. I'm going to set up my practice. And I wanted nothing to do with, that was my, my, my phase of rejection. And then several years later, actually, when we had our son, Sebastian, and we're expecting our daughter, Emilia, I, I, I was doing our monthly budget. I'm like, oh my God, you know, I'm, we're barely making ends meet, or at least that's how it felt at the time. And I said to myself, I'm tired of just surviving and keeping my head above water. I want to thrive. What's it going to take? And I had an honest moment with myself and I said, okay, where do I spend my time? And at the time I was about 50% of my shamanic healing practice and 50% on various consulting projects, but that 50% of consulting was bringing in 80% of the revenue. In our household, right? 20% was, yeah, was what I, I loved. But my story at the time was, I want to be a practicing healer. I'm just doing this consulting thing in the meantime to pay rent. And with, and, and with that disdain and the tone of the voice that you can hear, that was more or less amplified what I thought about it at the time. Then we were expecting, Amelia, I was doing our monthly budget. I'm like, okay, I'm tired of just being like, keeping my head above water. I want to thrive. What's it going to take? And I did this analysis because I am a good consultant, and I can be honest with myself. And I said, okay, clearly it's bringing a lot to our family. Why? Why can I change my relationship to my consulting work? And the answer was yes, of course it was. But what was it going to take? And I and I had to reconcile the fact that not I was not just good at it. I actually enjoyed a lot of aspects of the corporate work. And I spent a few weeks sort of in that internal process of coming to terms with it, and lo and behold, within the next two months, the Humphrey Group called me up and interviewed me, and I would end up working over 12 years for them. I got a lot more projects from the one consulting firm where I was already active, and opportunities to travel, to build more hours, and it just started flourishing, but it started with the internal process, and the internal process was uh, unlocked based on some candid self-awareness and and some looking at myself in the mirror.
0: I like it because it's candid self-awareness of what you needed and then the change in the narrative of what your relationship with them.
1: Yeah, changing changing the story you tell about yourself is one of the most powerful ways to change reality as you experience it. But it sounds easy to change your story, but you have to examine what are the attachments and what is the benefit I get about the story I tell myself today. Mm-hmm. And and to be able to change the narrative, you need to be at peace with what the current story is bringing you. Well,
0: this has been so much fun. I <laughs> didn't know so no man, no many things I didn't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure. I was, uh, you know, I, I I really enjoy being able to, to reflect on different topics. And, you know, if it's more personal because it's about my life, I'm happy to share that. So, um, you know, let's keep the conversation
0: going. Yeah. thank you for listening to shit i just quit my job i hope you found this conversation useful and inspiring and maybe got a laugh or some ideas out of it if you like the show please rate review and subscribe it means the world to me please share with your friends